This is Fusion Capitalism, a clean energy vision for conservatives. Brought to you by industry leader and company CEO, Steve Malink. Here's Steve. These days, it's easy to find celebrities who are active in social causes involving climate change and clean energy. But that wasn't the case back in 1970 when a young actor by the name of Ed Begley Jr. became interested in environmental causes and never looked back. I'm so excited to welcome him to my podcast. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Steve. So, Ed, I, I read that you became an environmentalist in 1970 in part because you were looking for ways to save money. And this was way before most people knew anything about climate change, of course. How did you go about educating yourself about energy efficiency back then? Well, there were a few good things and a bad thing that led me to get involved. The good things were, first of all, my dad. He was a wonderful man, an Academy Award-winning actor, and he was a conservative that liked to conserve. You know, we turned off the lights and turned off the water, saved string and tinfoil, and he was a son of Irish immigrants. He lived through the Great Depression. So it was just in his DNA to be careful with things and not waste. But he died within a few days of that first Earth Day in 1970. So I did all this stuff that I wound up doing to honor him more than anything, because he was always interested in what I was opposed to, like smog. I'd always complain about the smog. But he said, but what are you for? You know, I know what you're against, but what are you for? And so I decided I would do everything I could afford back in 1970, because I said he died within a few days of the first Earth Day. So I didn't have him to rely on anymore financially. So I had to do the cheap and easy stuff. I started recycling. I started composting. I became a vegetarian. I rode my bike for transportation. I took public transportation and all that stuff. I quickly learned it was not only good for the environment, it was good for that other green stuff called money. And I was saving dough. And so that relates to my next question. I was going to ask at what point in your career did environmental activism become part of your brand? Would you say that it, your passion evolved gradually or did you kind of wake up one morning and say to yourself, this is who I want to be? It was a gradual thing. The epiphany was on Earth Day when I got involved. That one day catapulted me into action. But it, Steve, it had been brewing for a while. By that, I mean, I lived 20 years, two decades in smoggy LA and the smog was horrible back then. It, it was something that happened slowly but look what we've done since 1970. We have four times the cars in LA from 1970 and millions more people, but a fraction of the smog. Everything we hoped would work did work. The catalytic converters on cars worked, the cleaner power plants worked, everything that we hope would clean up there did just that. So, you know, we can count ourselves successful in making that change. And how would you say that your image, your brand in this area has been received by others in the acting community over the years with some support, skepticism, perhaps even disdain, or has it been all very supportive? There was a lot of skepticism back in the day. To drive an electric car in 1970, Steve, was very oddball. You know, I had, when I say car, I'm being quite grand. We're talking about a golf cart with a windshield wiper and a horn. The brand of the electric vehicle I bought in 1970 was a Taylor Dunn, T-A-Y-L-O-R-Dunn. I believe they still make electric cars to this day, but they're basically little golf carty kind of things to go around a college campus or to go around an industrial you know, warehouse setting, what have you, to carry parts around or something like that in a non-polluting way. 
but they have a limited range of about 20 miles and a top speed of about 20 miles per hour. So me driving this, it was not, it was considered pretty wacky. And it was not exactly a babe magnet either, a car like this. I took a young lady on a date. That young lady was Cindy Williams from the show Laverne and Shirley. She played Shirley. I didn't get a second date is all I'll say. It was, it was pretty <laughs> okay. slow when we pulled up the restaurant, you know, it was further away than I had planned. And so the car was crawling up the restaurant. I think there was a kid on Hot Wheels passing us by. It was so slow. Oh, we became good friends and she was godmother to my daughter and she's still a dear friend. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't, it was considered pretty wacky back in 1970. So to what degree do you think your example and activism has helped influence others in Hollywood across even the U.S. and beyond? You know, I did it because it was something I wanted to do. And I hope that others might over time try some of it themselves. But I was very careful not to preach or to proselytize or tell other people what they should do. When called upon, people would call upon me. You know, I'd show up at some clean air press conference or event, you know, on my bicycle and people would ask me about it. And I would happily, happily share as I still do to this day. But I didn't, hey, get over here, get your cameras. I got something to say and get a shot of my bike. I never did that. I thought it was better mm -hmm. to just have people notice what you're doing and then ask you about it. You know, I would go to these Hollywood openings and the Vanity Fair Oscar party I went to one night and I was quite surreptitiously, I thought, trying to lock my bike up off on the side, but some photographers caught sight of it. Ed, Ed, they came over with the, you know, flash bulbs and the cameras, hold the helmet up, pull the helmet down, you got a shot, look over here. And they got all these pictures of me driving my bike up. And I was, I mean, I wasn't trying to hide it, but I also wasn't trying to make an event, but it, it was more effective that way as I later learned, because I wasn't trying to judge other people. You know, if I judge people by their houses or cars, I wouldn't have any friends. So I just kind of do what I do and other, if others want to join, that's great by me. A couple of years ago, you delivered the keynote at a trade show in Detroit that featured green technology. And you were quoted, you cannot make gasoline on the roof of your house. Of course, your home is solar powered. And so I'd like to learn more about when you installed these solar panels and how they performed and the cost benefits, et cetera. Yeah, back in 1970, I really wanted solar panels. I had gotten a bunch of different catalogs over the years called Edmund Scientific and the Radio Shack catalog and other Heathkit catalogs. I was kind of a bit of a science nerd. I never got a degree in engineering the way my wonderful son has. He's an electrical engineer, but I always had a passion for that stuff. So I wanted solar panels in 1970 and before that even, but I knew I couldn't afford them. So I I've always been kind of a fiscal conservative, so I, you know, I didn't go broke buying things I couldn't afford. I did the recycling, I rode the bike, took public transportation. Over time, I bought a solar oven. Over time, I bought a little rain barrel to collect rainwater. And after 15 years, Steve, after a decade and a half from 1970, so this would now be 1985, I finally had enough money to buy a solar setup. Not solar electric still, that was a little odd in 85. and. Not a lot of people were doing solar electric, but people did, as I did that year, solar hot water, and that worked mm -hmm. very well. That was kind of my gateway mm -hmm. drug to solar electric, was the solar <laughs> hot water. It was very cost-effective, and I did it, and that was 85. I don't live in that house anymore, but I occasionally ask about the solar thermal array there, the solar hot water array, and it's still working low these many years later. So finally in 1990, a guy sent me a, 
a letter seeing if I wanted to invest in this company called Sunwise Energy Works. And I went, well, I might invest in it, but first of all, let me buy one of your systems and see how it works before I put any money in. You know, I'm going to invest in the purchase, certainly, but before I put anything in, you know, further as an investor, let me see it. And so I, I bought a solar setup from this guy, Rick Lewandowski. I bought it at the end of 89. They installed it early in 1990 and it worked. Steve, they were very primitive back then. They did not have what we call a sine wave inverter, which is the kind of power you get from any utility. Southern California Edison or Department of Water and Power, it's like a heartbeat. It has a nice kind of gentle rise and fall. They would make something called a square wave, these old inverters. An inverter, by the way, for your listeners, takes DC power like a flashlight or a car battery and turns it into AC power, alternating current that you can use for your computer, or for your television or a toaster or just about anything. Mm -hmm. So these inverters had a square wave to save energy, but they were problematic because your clocks would run fast. Your answering machine would have a buzz on it, would kind of go mm, mm. In the background of every message, you know, it was pioneer stuff, Steve. Yeah. But I, I stuck with it because I believed in it pretty soon. This wonderful guy, Chad, and he, Chad Lampkin was his name and he was a CB back in the day in the 60s. And he learned, you know, electric uh, wiring and everything there. And he was a very cool guy because he actually lived with a solar setup too. So he started switching me over to sine wave inverters for a lot of my power. And finally, eventually my whole house ran on nice clean sine wave power. And it has ever since. I've had a working wonderful system now since uh, the early 90s. Oh, wow. That's a great story. Well, today, of course, you're known to walk the talk in many ways. You drive an electric car, you ride a bicycle, you rarely fly, I understand. And your home has attained LEED Platinum status, where LEED stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. Is there any area in which you wish you could do better, environmentally speaking? Absolutely. And the flying is a good part of it that you just mentioned. I've been very careful about flying only when I must. From the late 80s, I, early 90s, I started to really just try not to fly ever. And it was hard. But then with Greta and all these young people talking about their future and how you know, concerned they are about it vis-a-vis -vis climate change, I went, I got to do more. So I really stopped flying. I don't fly at all anymore. And that was I was enabled to do that, to make that commitment and adhere to it because I got a Tesla Model S. I got the Tesla S and so now I can drive cross country as I'm doing now. I'm working in Albuquerque and that's 800 miles from Los Angeles about. And so I just drive there, but in a fairly normal fashion, that is to say, if you're going to drive to Albuquerque, you've got to stop for gas a couple of times anyway. Mm -hmm. So I stopped for what would be a fuel of gasoline. And, uh, but I'm in my case, I'm getting a charge at a fast charger. I have a bite to eat in Needles, California. That's a few hundred miles away. I stop there and have breakfast. While I'm having breakfast, my car is charging on a fast charger. And after 35, 45 minutes, it's got a beautiful charge on it. Next stop is Flagstaff, Arizona, the next charge, which one would do anyway to stop for lunch and get some gasoline perhaps. And I do that, but my fuel is electricity again. And then the third stop, I guess, would be Gallup, New Mexico, get one more top off and make it easily into into Albuquerque and at Gallup, I have a meal too. So it's all pretty organic to traveling and it's very easy. And the, the charging for me is free because I bought it as part of my package of lifetime charging. 
and it's a great car with that autonomous driving. It's such a pleasure to go on a long trip. And I've been up to Portland, Oregon to see my grandkids and my son, Nick, up there. I just don't fly anymore. I just take my Tesla around the country Very when nice. I need to go far. All right, let's stop right here. But coming up in the second part of my conversation with actor and environmental activist Ed Begley Jr., Ed talks about the steps we can all take to make the planet a better place. Do what you can. Can you afford a light bulb? You know, an LED light bulb. Can you afford an energy saving thermostat? Can you put some weather stripping around your doors and windows? Can you ride a bike if weather and fitness permit? Most people I think would answer yes to all or most of those questions. Do that. Thanks for listening to Fusion Capitalism. To find out more about Steve Belink and his book, go to FusionCapitalism.com. This has been a production of Forbes Books Radio.